Welcome to the Optimist Futures Podcast, a place to learn from an industry insider with over 20 years of experience in commodity futures and options. Gain insight to the newest technology, platforms, risk management, trading philosophy, and advice about the current state of the futures and options markets. For futures trading platforms, deep discounts trading commissions, overnight margins, and instructional videos, feel free to visit our website at optimistfutures.com. Please remember that this matter should be viewed as a solicitation to trade. Trading futures and options involves substantial risk of loss and is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. You should therefore carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your financial condition. Optimist Futures LLC is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, methodologies, newsletter, or similar service. We urge you to conduct your own due diligence. Now, here's your host, founder and CEO of Optimus Futures, Matt Zimberg. Hi, this is Matt from Optimus Futures, and today I have with me in the studio Sam Beckers. Sam runs Soaring Pelican, which is a commodity trading advisory. Sam has been my customer for many years now, and I've seen him turn from a trading individual to a commodity trading advisor. I thought he would help you out a lot. He is a trader of the E-mini S&P. He has been day trading for many years, developed a day trading program, which is automated, and recently has developed a swing trading program as well. So I have him with me here today so I can ask him a bunch of questions, and I hope this would help you out in your day trading of the E-mini S&P. Sam, thank you very much for joining our podcast. Nice to be here. Thanks, Matt. Okay, so we'll start. Tell us a bit about your trading background. How did you get into trading? Uh, I started out in the late 90s um, in San Francisco. I happened to be in the right place at the right time for the dot-com boom. And uh, was working closely with a, um, a few different hedge fund managers and just in a really sort of a clerical role um, and watching these guys day in and day out. And uh, it, was, it was exciting. There was, there was, the market was, was wild and it was just crazy to watch. I thought that was normal. These guys, they would walk into the office and they'd say, Sam, I know I told you this before, but I've never seen anything like this. And uh, to me, it just, you know, I, I thought that was just a typical excitement that was part of the business. Um, but I saw, I saw one thing that made an impact on me during those days was some of the, the funds that were in the managers um, that were in the, the offices nearby. We were in the, the same building as Bear Stearns. And uh, some of these guys were, were doing great and you'd hear about them and some of them would just blow up and uh and they'd be moving out you'd see, like physically see these guys physically carrying boxes down the hall as they just lost all their money basically so that you know that made an impact on me um these guys who i had a lot of respect for uh had the power to all their firepower evaporate and um that kind of reverberated later on in my trading career and, and knowing that I didn't want to follow that same path and, and hold on to the capital that I had. But anyway, I, from there I evolved into uh, managing a trading desk, co-managing a trading desk with, a, with another guy for a mutual fund. And, and then from there spun off and started my own um, limited partnership in 2002 and basically made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, and ended up about break even. Um, the clients that I had, I had just a few clients I was managing, maybe $500,000. And um, the clients that I had, I, I, I told them, I don't really feel comfortable managing your money. I don't have a solid discipline for applying a strategy to the market. So it was a great learning experience. I'm glad I didn't lose anyone money. Um, but it for me physically, I... I couldn't handle the stress of it. It was it was really stressful um, to not have to be just kind of flying by the seat of your pants and not having a, a game plan. So um, I went back to trading my own money that I had left from those dot com days, and um, and over the next three years, I basically lost money pretty consistently. I was probably giving back about 
20,000 a year paying tuition and trying different things, but mostly realizing what didn't work. And I went down the path of, of trying to optimize indicators and things like that. I was, I was, I guess, somewhat of an early adopter of TradeStation and um, was learning to code in easy language and that type of thing. And uh, following probably the same the same path that a lot of a lot of your clients, Matt, are are, um, are attempting um, using optimizations and different types of technology to create pretty equity curves that look great in hindsight, but don't necessarily have any kind of um, validity at all. So uh, one, th but one thing I knew is that I wanted to stop losing money. I wanted to get to the point where I was a break-even trader. Um, I aligned with a few different people who I had a lot of respect for. They were, maybe you would call them mentors, but um, they had more experience than me or just sort of a, someone looking over my shoulder sort of thing, giving me some accountability on my day-to-day -day activities. And, and I think that that's important is to, to have some accountability in your trading. But eventually, I, I, after about two or three years of losing money, I, I got to break even, which was a... A pretty big step, you know. That's I, I think it's necessary to kind of touch the fire, touch the flame, so to speak, uh, when you're learning to, and to know that you can lose all your money if you if you don't take it very seriously. Treat it like a business. It's not gambling, and this is money you've worked for, and and treat it that way. And so I got to that point and um, and aligned with a few other guys and we started throwing ideas back and forth to each other and um, I finally started to come up with some ideas just through watching the markets. I was trading primarily ETFs and um, and the SPY really in particular, SPY and the QQQs and I wasn't clued into the futures market at that point and uh, doing mean reversion trading uh, that was maybe three to five days long in nature. And it was sort of a la Larry Connors. Um, if you're familiar with Larry Connors, who's kind of made a big impact on a lot of short-term traders in the industry, just using his RSI2 thing. I, I wasn't using RSI2, but, but I, I liked the idea, the simplicity of it. And so, so that, that kind of set me down a path of realizing that you didn't have to you didn't have to be optimizing indicators. You could keep something really simple and um, and do it, execute consistently, use a, a, a solid discipline of, of um, risk and not risking too much, not trying to hit home runs, um, and uh, and that's that would be the way to survive. And and in 2006 to 2009, we had actually some really great years for mean reversion. It was it was working really well. And so that's that's kind of led me to eventually to the, the futures market. And then in 2011, I was using, I basically took my mean reversion systems and boiled them down to the intraday level and uh, and started trading them using just intraday hours, uh, trading the S&P futures, uh, which is a, a great market for short-term trading, in my opinion. And some people say it's one of the most difficult, but I really, I, I think that the liquidity is, is is what really makes it such a, a good market to trade. So I've I've had a kind of like a ten year long relationship with the S and P uh, E mini, and it's pretty much the only market that I watch and and uh, watch it every day. And and uh, and I'm, I'm, Matt's got some other questions for for me. I'm sure about how how I apply what my my knowledge to it. Right. Go, go ahead, Matt. So, um, first of all, I, just as, as a comment, you know, um, what's similar to both of us is that, you know, we came, um, you know, well, I should say, I, I came um, to the market r right before the NASDAQ collapse. So I've seen kind of the same thing that you've seen. I've seen huge trading desks with lots of traders, uh, brokerage firms with lots of brokers and retail customers and trading retail and then it just came to just a halt just quiet you know trading desk that had 500 traders it went to 10 where there were 50 there was zero so i also came from an angle of that made me think about risk which i think you know looking back i think whatever you saw you know helped you out 
So essentially, you found the Yemeni SMP, and now you're going from a transition of being a day trader of your own capital, you're becoming licensed, um, and you became a commodity trading advisor and a money manager. So my next question is, what are the challenges that you find today as a money manager, specifically trading other people's capital? What I mean specifically, you know, I, I more to the psychological aspect of um, being a money manager. Uh, there is there is definitely a psychological aspect to it, but I think that it's also important to realize that that the CTA, you know, running a CTA is more than just uh, than just managing trades. There is a whole regulatory aspect to it. There's a, an accounting aspect, and it, just like any other business, it, it's it has you wear a lot of different hats when you're running a small business, and that can be uh, distracting. It can be um, frustrating. But as far as the day-to-day psychology stress, I think it's there's parallels with running any small business. You have clients, um, you're you're trying to you're trying to do everything right and to not make any big errors because when you're dealing directly with money, it's you know it's possible for things to go wrong and, and with markets you can lose if you're not prepared you can lose money in a really short period of time. So there's a lot of responsibility, but I think it's it's not unlike any other business. You're trying to hold on to your clients. You're trying to do right for them, and and that's that's kind of where your focus has to remain. But at the same time, you're trying to execute your business. I, I've gotten to the point where I'm not doing system development as much as I used to. Uh, the, the the methodologies that I use are they've proven themselves over time, and and they've it's come to a point where I know that they work. I know that they don't necessarily work all the time, but um, but I know that they're they're effective. And so for me, it's it's really just kind of you know you could maybe make a parallel with an automobile. You, you know that your your car works. You just have to do a good job of steering it. So that's there's less stress for me on the level of. Um, of trying to find systems that work and um, and uncertainty about about how they work and whether they're buggy and that type of thing. When I when I get a trade in one of my systems, and I don't know if Matt mentioned this or not, but I, I am all my systems are mechanical and they are non-discretionary. So when I get a trade, I know why the trade is executed, and I know that the reason it's it's in the market is because of um, certain statistical probabilities and no matter what I may think of those probabilities at the time when I'm looking at the market it may look like a terrible trade I take the trade anyway and that's that's something that's really important um, to do and it's and it took me that's part of my years of losing money was not following my systems and I you know if there's something I could stress enough if you're going to be a mechanical trader you can't override your signals it, at least not initially. You, you should spend a few years of uh, of just following the systems and trying to match as much as you can the back test. After years and years, you might use the systems more as a tool, but uh, it's very important to develop a self discipline that you can you can rely on, uh, and it also makes your life easier. You you stress out less. So I I think that's you know to answer your question, I, I think that. That's probably was one of the biggest challenges um, as I was developing was to was to um, just just achieve a, a solid discipline and to execute consistently. I see. Well, I wanted to tell you that I think you did a really good job and you're still doing a good job. But I have to tell you that the reason that I asked this question is that a lot of commodity trading advisors uh, were initially um, good traders when they traded their own capital or maybe they were among family and friends but you know the overall pressure of first of all like you said running a business being you know doing things according to regulation also the psychology of handling other people's money it, it actually got to them at some point and we saw a transition of a successful trader to a CTA that hasn't been so successful. So I think you maybe had a, a little bit more of background, institutional background, seeing other, you know, working in other environments it probably helped you out. So another thing that I wanted to, that leads me to my next question, and I'll tell you exactly why I'm asking it. 
A lot of traders, unfortunately, think when they come to any trading asset, whether it's stock, futures, Forex, or whatever they trade, they think that there's some sort of a consistency in every month or every day or, or certain weeks. So they're willing to accept certain level of risk, but at the same time, they think that you know there's some sort of a return that is consistent pretty much to every uh, method. And I always tell traders who are about to open a self-directed account, you know, be prepared for a lackluster periods that might last for weeks, months, or, a, or years where you go through those periods. So my question to you, how do you deal emotionally, you know, and mentally maybe uh, with lackluster periods when you experience them? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think that um, I think that mechanical uh, traders uh, or um, systems traders have an advantage there, where uh, once they get past the idea of of losing dollars or making dollars on every tick, you, you see it more as a you see more of a long term kind of perspective, and, and it's more just about managing your systems. Um, a discretionary trader, on the other hand, you know, every decision they make is uh, is based on their own analysis and to some extent their intuition. I, I think that they have a, a much heavier burden there. I think the day-to-day -day aspect of, of trading, um, you know, what I can speak to from a, from an, a mechanical systems trader manager is, uh, is you stop thinking about it too much. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you, you right. have to kind of, you have to, it's kind of like when you're once again, you know, if you're driving on the road to anywhere, you're not looking at the dots right in front of your car. You have to look. You have to be looking down the road, looking at obstacles and things like that, and and just realize that you're that you're in for the long haul. I mean, the objective of a manager is to create an equity curve that's nice and upward sloping and has low volatility. Um, and there are methods of doing that. Um, one method that I'd use that I don't mind telling you guys about, and I don't know how many managers do this, but um, I just keep a moving average of my equity that I'm managing. And when I'm above, when all of my accounts are above that moving average, then I will be uh, using a full position size. And uh, when the accounts are below that moving average, I'll use a reduced position size. And it's, it's an objective uh, way of just kind of putting the brakes on. It's, it's a good way of I'm using too many automobile analogies here, but it's a good way of just kind of of knowing when the market is not appropriate for your style, uh, and so just to hold off. There's most most of the people listening to this this presentation probably have gone through this, where you do some type of revenge trading, and that's one of the most destructive things you can do on your account because you feel like the market's against you, and you need to do everything you can to fight back and you just start making stupid decisions and so as hard as it may be one of the things that you need to do is just walk away the markets are going to be there tomorrow and this is this is something that is uh, it's kind of a fundamental idea is that you really as a, a trader have no control over the markets the only thing that you have control over is your approach to the markets and the way that you execute so when I feel that way, and it, it gets to me, I mean, after years and years and years, it, it affects you less and less. Um, it becomes more of just kind of a routine. But uh, when I'm feeling a lack of control, I'll, I'll go out, out in my backyard and I'll do some weed whacking or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and it, makes me, it makes me feel like I, you know, I'm, I'm actually have some kind of, uh, of power. And it works, you know. I mean, I think that it's important as as traders to not be focused on uh, trading too much. It can drive you crazy, and you need to have outside activities that you can blow steam off. And you know, even walking. I know a, a lot of um, really smart people. The way that they they gain new ideas is is by distancing themselves from the research that they're doing and um, and just trying to clear their heads. Meditation is a good way to do it. I know a lot of traders do that, and I think that's a really wise thing to do too. What you're trying to do is you're trying to is just try to settle the waters of your of your consciousness, and and that's when you can allow um, kind of the more powerful points of thought to to surface. Yeah, when when you're distracted by uh, by the day to day stuff, uh, you really aren't probably not making any progress.
Okay, so so the reason that I asked you that, you know, specifically, again, I, I want to convey to our listeners, you know, the, the, the difficulties that they experience are not only unique to them and they're only also unique to uh, money managers. Specifically, I think in the retail, in the self-directed uh, crowd, whenever they go to through uh, lackluster periods, they usually change their method. So what we find is that when, when we don't always know what's going on, for the most part, we're a discount brokerage firm. So people come in, you know, they deposit their funds and, you know, they, they trade on their own. But what we find is that, you know, they change methods all the time. When we talk to them, we find it's pretty common. So the reason that I asked you that question is to show them that maybe they just need to refine their system, work on it and, uh, and the experience of lackluster periods or being flat on the equity curve or, or being negative is something that everybody experiences, even professionals such as yourself. That leads me to the next question. I would like to know your definition of an edge. How do you develop an edge? And is there really such a thing as an edge that a person can develop? Do they develop something unique that they, in terms of a method, or they just have to have a method that flows with the market? So. Tell me a little bit of your concept of what an edge is, because that word is being thrown around a lot in forums and in blogs and then, you know, educators, I always say you have an edge. Give me your perspective after all those years in the market. An edge is, is something that is that gives you some type of insight on what the market may do uh, in the future. And nobody has a crystal ball, and so you, all you know is probabilities really I mean that's the way that I think about it I've learned to do what I'm doing by a lot of observation and um, and I think that observation is you know it's it is subjective but at the same time you can learn things from it and what I've learned is that in this particular market that I trade um, the S&P has a large variety of part participants that you know, some some guys are hedging, some guys are speculating, some people are are you know just day trading. There's high frequency traders, all sorts of different things going on. But the main thing is that uh, when larger players enter and exit a market, uh, they can't do it without making some kind of impact on it. And smaller traders have an advantage in that they're agile and that they're able to, with some skill identify these periods when um, when larger players are entering or, or exiting and they can make money off of that and that would be my my really kind of main advice to someone who's looking for an edge is to realize and acknowledge that you are a smaller player and that um, and that really the only time that you're going to have probabilities in your favor is when these bigger guys are moving the market around and that's that's when you'll get your your easy trades. The difficulty is going to come in to play in being patient and waiting for those those times to arise. And sometimes it's I mean I look at last year was just a terrible time. 2017 was a terrible time for for short term traders. Uh, there just wasn't enough volatility. As far as uh, as an, an edge goes, you know you you need to to try to find. That that kind of uh, movement that that creates a high probability um, trade for yourself, but these things come and go. And the more specific you can be um, in your rules, and the more you can document those rules, um, I find that that's that's critical. And when you're talking about that earlier was um, about switching approaches. If you keep switching approaches, um, you won't have a foundation of knowledge about any one approach and so it is important to to either stick with one approach or have some objective manner of turning on and off that approach so if you I mean I'm not saying to stick with an approach that doesn't work what I would do is introduce some type of uh, of an objective measure um, like a moving average once again and just say okay if when this system's equity is above the moving average I'll trade it and when it's below that means it's not working and so that's that's just one way of kind of preventing yourself from trading a losing system into the ground but it's a good way it works so it, it's really nice that you share such a simple method that helps you because I think 
that, you know, again, this is an our space, right? So, you know, we obviously work with you too, of course, some of our customers, their funds are being managed, but, you know, our self-directed customers, again, over the years, I get the feeling that they, they always think that um, simplicity is not the way to go. So they overwhelm themselves, they buy indicators, and, you know, they're, they have tons of screens and, and, and tons of charts and a number of methods all combined into one. So it's really nice to hear that an edge could be just something that simple, like a moving average of your equity. It makes sense. It's logical. It helped you. So um, that's that really sh what should be implemented. But again, it's not always it's not always the case. And of course, just I mean, I I don't want to sound like I'm accusing anyone of anything. Of course, because people are overwhelmed from the internet, the amount of information, the amount of courses, the amount of people who offer to mentor you. You obviously seen all that. So sometimes that overwhelms them. So you're adding here very valuable input and saying okay simplify it just you know look at, at one thing and one method that really helps you you know to scale in and scale out with more position and less positions Sim simplify um, definitely but one, one more thing i would add is uh is the sure. edge your your edge could very simply be consistent at execution um and that that is that's a very difficult thing to to achieve but it, it is very achievable at the same time and executing consistently, you will learn about the method that you're trying to do. And while you're doing it consistently, you'll you'll discover other nuances in that method. And I, I mean, you can take you could take a uh, indicator-based system and probably make money off of it I, as long as you're consistently executing and you have a real objective way of of doing things that makes sense. Um, you know, data mining and, and all these softwares that have come up with trying to find going through a thousand different systems and, and little variations of your ADX or your, you know, breakout length or something like that. These things are, are you know, they're, it's just curve fitting. And so um, the edge that you're looking for is, is not going to be found in any kind of software that you pay 1500 bucks a month for or anything like that. If it was, then obviously they wouldn't be selling it to the public. And, and um, right. so really... So, so it, it takes work, basically. I think people come into this business thinking that that it's going to be fun, and you know, I'll just do it on my days or you know, my hours off, and I'll just make a hundred bucks a day or or something like that. But um, but it's there's there is more to that, and the the work comes in in your own self discipline. That's that that's been my challenge. I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, people do come in with. A certain level that they want to make, uh, you know, and just kind of blindly deciding on numbers. So, I would like to now. I think you kind of answered this a little bit, but I still wanted to know a little bit about how you evolved as a trader. So you started from day one, and now you are here today. Where do you feel the approach? If if you were to go back, for example, to the beginning. What would you have done differently? So what you know today, if there's somebody who's listening, who's starting out, and people's definition of starting out could be a year, two, or even five. Spoke to traders who are humble enough to say, you know, I've been only doing it for five years. But if you had to go back to day one, what would you have done differently? Uh, I think I wouldn't have remained um, as isolated as I did. Uh, that period when I was losing money, um, I sort of just woodshedded it and, and trying a bunch of stuff on my own. I, I didn't have a trading community or anything like that. And I think as an inexperienced trader, if you can find a good trading community, and that may not be necessarily a, a website like um, like Futures.io or, or you know whatever it may be, um, it may be a, a few people within one of those communities. and um, And try to find someone who... Is speaking the same language as you, you know, not maybe you are not mathematically inclined, and so you don't want to align with some guy who's who's a pro coder who's doing machine learning types of things. Find someone that resonates with you, and and uh, and try to collaborate. I mean, having two two different types of thinking at the same problem can create you know drastically different results, but also 
potentially um, synergistic types of ideas. So, so I think it's important to to look to those trading communities. And there's a lot of junk on there too, and you have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, and a lot of people who are not honest about what they're doing, but the you know, the, the the true contributors and the people that are that have some value are there because they enjoy it and they've you know maybe they've already past break-even trading um, I, I'm sure quite a few of them haven't but there probably are some and they're just there for the camaraderie and and maybe even just to, to give back a little bit too. find a mentor you know that's that's number one find someone who is willing to give their time because they're successful and you know you want to make sure that they <laughs> it's nice to know that to have some kind of proof that they're successful but even if they're not and they're able to generate some ideas for you or, or help you generate your own ideas. That's really valuable, and I think in any business, finding a mentor uh, is 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 really really key. I I, I agree with you, and uh, I do daily things, even after being so many years in the business, to get motivated. If there's anything that I would add to looking for a mentor, is look for somebody who's going to tell you how hard it's going to be in any field in life. Any any coach or any trainer or any anybody in any given field, you know, people are always attracted to the ones who give them the good news, how easy trading would be and how much they're going to make every month. But unfortunately, the ones who sell reality and say, look, it's going to be difficult. Your day does not end when you finish trading. You have to analyze things. You have to think about it. And, you know, those those are the real people that at least I'm attracted to in my life. The people tell me how difficult it would be because I think they're not trying to actually sell me anything. They're actually trying to sell me reality. Yeah. So I've heard you, you know, do you that too, Matt. To, to I know to, to other people that you you don't want to see your clients lose money, and I think that's very admirable. So, well, you know, sometimes it's not in our control as traders and online and everything else. But so obviously, you know, I cannot. I don't have any control over their methods and what they use, but. There's one thing I always tell them how difficult this business is. And this business is very unique because it doesn't have really expenses per se. You know, you just set up your computer and, you know, you have a, a trading account. So you, you don't run inventory, you don't run people. It does have that advantage, but the, so they don't necessarily always ask, well, where is the challenge? You know, where is the hard part of, of trading? And this is where I come in and tell them, I said, you're trading against extremely intelligent people. The markets are tough. This is why you get to know people are very good traders because they got to do something in life that a lot of people didn't. So now you mentioned a little bit, you know, you kind of touched on technology and what's available and, you know, and machines that run methods. So, you know, there's always a debate about, you know, technology in this business. And a lot of traders saying that the HFTs, the algos, and now that we have artificial technology being introduced to the market are disruptive to traders. Now, I just wanted to ask you in the context of, of, of the markets in general, not just now, um, do those things today affect traders more than they affected, you know, more than before? Because, you know, before there was maybe information that wasn't available on, on the net to some traders. Um, you know, maybe it was research or anything like that. So is today HFTs and algos and all those factors, of, do they help traders or they're made it a lot more difficult? I, I, I had, do not disagree with you that the markets have changed over the past 20-something years. Uh, what used to work in the 80s and the 90s, definitely doesn't work anymore uh, and and you can see that from some of the managers that did great in the 80s and 90s and they did I mean the turtles you know like some of these these methodologies that were very simple breakout systems types of things just they haven't worked for years and so you ask well is this is there a fundamental reason why they're not working or, or what and I think the answer is these guys that are doing high frequency trading and that are doing kind of more machine learning and that kind of thing these guys are kind of playing against each other more than they're playing against retail clients and um, and the smaller traders. The algorithms they're using are, are trying to 
they're trying to identify certain patterns and that, and that type of thing. And the patterns are there, but the more people are trying to, the, the more these machines are trying to identify them, the more kind of corrupted they get. And that's one thing that I've noticed is, is there are, there are patterns that work in the market, but they, the, the machines are identifying it. And then when they get to the critical moment, there's all sorts of weird volatility and stuff going that happens. So that's, um, I don't think that it's really making an impact for, for smaller, like I said, agile traders who are of smaller size. Um, you can still identify when big money is, is entering or leaving a market and be patient, wait for that, and then participate. The tough part is just being patient. And that's, that's the part where you start spinning your wheels and getting bored and, uh, and over trading. Overtrading is your biggest enemy. If you can, if you can eliminate that part and only participate when the market's really moving, then you'll be doing a lot better. It's it's hard to wait for, but you know, one thing that I I use and I, I that I look at in my in my charting platform is um, is I look at uh, not time-based charts, but uh, but contract-based charts. And I'm looking at them right now, and and basically the bars of my chart change colors when uh, when the market speeds up, and when the when there's more bars being printed per minute or per second, then uh, that alerts me that something's going on. That there's volume entering or exiting the market, um, and so that's when you participate. But I don't think that there's a real need to for for your audience, Matt, to be concerned about high frequency trading um, or any of these. Uh, new technologies that are supposedly so great, I, and I, I don't think that they've necessarily proven, you know, I mean, we, we remember those days of neural networks and things like that that were hitting the market. Really, you, you know, smart people who are from, came over from, from other industries, aerospace and engineers and that kind of thing. And, and I, I've met some of these guys who, who are engineers who are really, really intelligent people who know how to address a, a problem in another industry and create a great solution for it. But when it comes to the financial markets, since it's a nonlinear um, dynamic system, they just it doesn't work, and so um, it's a really tough problem for these for the guys who are trying to create these algorithms. Um, and I'm not convinced that they that they have any kind of a silver bullet that creates you know winning trade after winning trade. If they are, then that's great for them, but it's not really something that's going to change our lives. I, there, there are, there's very simple systems out there that you can use, but that will earn money for you. But the part that's going to, and this, I think this is a Jesse Livermore, Livermore quotation or something like that, was the, the times when I made the most money was when I just sat on my hands and did nothing. Um, Over trading is, is what's going to hurt your account the most. And I, even though you know, Matt, Matt's a broker, and he, I, I think he would agree with me. He, he wants his clients to to hold on to their money rather than blast it out. And um, and by not over trading, you're you're able to preserve your you know, your dry powder for the times when the market is actually going to create a uh, advantageous situation for for you to trade. Absolutely. So you know, so I just just as a comment, you know, you mentioned. Uh, patients i find that our dna you know as human beings works completely the opposite of what the market does so sometimes we have to fight our own evolution and our evolution is always to take action so you put a, a trader in front of the screen and you start moving those things that's what makes this reflexes of to do something or the fear of missing out or anything of that sort. So I couldn't agree with you more that you have to fight that, you know, years of evolution in you and just wait and wait and wait. And look, I just want to tell you, yes, I am a broker. It's true. We make our money from commissions and what people trade, but we definitely, we try our best to tell people the challenge behind it. And we do tell them about over trading because we want them as customers for years. We don't want anybody to have a bad experience. Unfortunately, it will happen. People will come, people over trade, they try, they will say, I tried futures, it's not for me, they'll move on. It will happen. People will lose. But our goal is obviously, you know, to inform people of the challenges that exist in this market 
and hopefully, you know, in bringing professionals such as yourself, sharing this would hopefully help them. So we just have a few more questions um, that I wrote here that I thought I would like to um, ask you as well. So um, <clears throat> at some point you added in the last year, uh, which I really commend you for doing this. This was a really nice change to see because you were able to adapt to the markets, but you added a swing trading system to your portfolio. So now, you know, you have, you have day trading and then you have swing trading as part of your uh, trading CTA. Can you tell me how did you go about developing it? Not, not so much the, the secret formula, but you know, how do you go from day trading way of thinking now to swing trading? And the reason I'm asking it is because maybe customers out there or traders out there want to develop a number of methods for different markets. So maybe it is possible. And obviously you proved it is. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. sure. I think that uh, the reason for my developing the hybrid program, well, really the hybrid program using multi-day trades and swing trading is uh, goes back to when I was trading from 2006 to 2010. I was doing multi-day trades. They're basically the same systems that I was using back then. And one of the reasons why I resurrected them was because they just kept performing. I think you, you do have... Um, you do have a, a bit more of an edge when you're trading higher time frames in that it's easier to identify potential reversal points. And that's, it's, that's kind of tricky still too, but here, here's the detrimental part of, uh, of trading higher time frames is that you, you need to have wider stops. And that means that you need to have kind of deeper pockets and be willing to accept a potential larger loss. What my swing trading approach does is basically it looks at multiple time frames. And what we're trying to do is to identify where tradable volatility exists. Um, when there's not enough movement on the intraday level, uh, it means that there, it doesn't mean that the market's not doing anything. It just means that it's not wiggling enough on the intraday time frame to create trades that have an adequate reward risk profile. And so, so you generally just need to go. It, it means that the trades are there. They just take longer to complete than the daily time frame or the intraday time frame. So we're kind of zooming out and looking at a different resolution and, uh, and looking at 60-minute um, charts, time-based charts, but it's not, that's not really necessarily important. It's just that you're, you're recognizing that, um, that the market is, is still creating these waves that are tradable. They're just on a higher time frame. So in 2017, there are plenty of opportunities to to make money in the S&P, but they were not existing on the on the lower time frames on the intraday level. So I I recognized that and and realized that hey my my multi-day systems are doing just fine in this environment, but I'm just beating my head against the wall trying to make money on the intraday level not really beating my head against the wall, just once again, just practicing patience and uh, weed whacking. And, uh, and so, so I, I think that the data, there's a lot of data out there for developing swing trading systems. And I think that you can do it successfully. I, I would say that the temptation is to find some kind of a swing trading system that you can apply to hundreds of different markets and it works great in every market or it works reasonably well in every market. And I would, disagree with that. I mean, my personal approach is to get to know some market, you know, somewhat intimately and become familiar with it and, and really just try to focus on it. It's once again, getting back to simplicity and um, no information overload, but it's the, the other advantage is that you are able to, if you are able to look at markets somewhat passively, you can watch these trades develop as you're involved in them and take better notes. You know, if you decrease the frequency of your trading, as we were talking about earlier, by looking at higher time frames, you're avoiding the overtrading type of temptation and um, and you're also able to document your trades and take better notes. And I think that that's, that's really key in getting to that goal of consistent execution and self-discipline. Thank you. So now you're obviously on the radar of many people. And you obviously have to trade more and more 
contracts. So I'm going to ask you a question about this. And the reason that I'm asking is because sometimes when I talk to traders, they think they if they're successful trading, let's say one lot or a five lot in the mini S&P, they can turn around and start trading 20 and 30 lots and their profits will just multiply. And I always tell them that there's a challenge of scalability and also size. So, you know, there's certain risk level where they could maybe, I mean, in terms of contracts that they can work with, but once they double it or quadruple it or triple it, all of a sudden they start losing and that's because it has a different psychological uh, effect on them. So they deviate from their method, again, because of the large fluctuations of contracts. So I wanted to ask you, how do you approach scalability? Uh, both from a psychological standpoint and both from a tactical standpoint of actually trading more contracts in the co in, in in the marketplace, getting filled on them, getting out on them, you know, slippage and so forth. Sure, I, I think first of all, I, I think that the it's very important to if you're going to be choosing a market to know intimately, it's important to to select one that has adequate liquidity. So there's enough trading contracts or there's enough participation going on that you don't need to worry about um, you know whether you're trading one or 20 contracts I mean really in this in the S&P futures even trading 20 or 30 contracts is you're still such a small fish in this market so you don't want to be trading some penny stock where you're moving it around or something like that too much when you're getting in and getting out but then to get to to scaling up or and, and even scaling back I think it's really important to look at what you're trading in terms of percentage percentages rather than dollars and cents. Definitely get away from looking at how much um, P&L from a dollar and cent standpoint you can. Is That's really critical. Look at it in terms of percentage points. Uh, there's the, also, I think it was um, one, of, one of these educators who, who uh, uses R values and his definition of R is something like your your profit per trade on based on how much you risked, and I think that's a great way of looking at it. Um, if you're able to say I risked half a percent and I made three percent on that trade, then that would be a six to one a reward to risk ratio kind of thing. Once you stop looking at um, dollars and cents, you really kind of open up a, a different kind of way of thinking about about the markets because we all are affected by about by money I mean it's one of the key psychological drivers to humans once again kind of like a survival thing we're trying to create stability and security in our lives by having enough money to to survive and so when you think about your daily P&L in terms of dollars and cents it's it can be really it can make you sick um, when you have a bad day or or really enthusiastic and overconfident when you have a good day um, if you're thinking of it in terms of percentage, then you're you're turning you're turning it into um, more of a, a business decision and less of an emotional decision. It's more just numbers. It's um, so I think that that's that's really critical, and that would be my recommendation um, number one. That is a, that is a really really good point. I think it also starts with the fact that people should trade their risk capital. Tell them if you trade your risk capital. You approach it differently. If you don't trade risk capital, you know you might be psychologically, uh, you know, it might be impacting you when you're yeah. in the trade. So yeah, that's something I would add to that. Something I would add to that, Matt, is is just in, with my own program that I I risk a maximum of one percent of the account value per day. Um, I never risk more than that. And once if if I do hit that level, then I'm out for the rest of the day, no matter what. And so my downside on a daily basis is theoretically capped, whereas my upside is uncapped. And that's, I, I, that's really important. And then when, the other thing that I do is, is when I'm in an adverse phase, I'll risk only half a percent a day. And that's, that's one way of just putting on the brakes for me. And it's an objective method that I use to, to do that. And I think, yeah, having a, having a capped losing uh, amount and an uncapped winning amount is is a great way to to kind of control your account volatility. Definitely, everybody should define their risk limits for the day if they're day traders. 
and go from there. I've read a lot of people who participate in, um, you know, either react to forums or blogs or anything like that. But that's one thing they keep on mentioning that they had their stop and they just kept going and going and going right after that and they just got themselves into a bigger and bigger uh, trouble. So definitely having the discipline to do it. Uh, sometimes people come and say, you know, can your software disable me after I lose a certain amount? And I find it absolutely fascinating that people just can't say, okay, I'm just going to walk away. They need to actually their software to be disabled. At first, when, when people started asking me that, it, I, I thought it was just a coincidence, but then it grew more and more and more and more that people are, are saying, could you do it on the software if I lose a certain level of funds? So some software allow it, some don't. But, you know, essentially, I always tell them, you got to have it in you as well. You have yeah. to have it. So wanted to ask you specifically about day trading. Everybody has some sort of a challenge when it comes to day trading specifically. Where, in your opinion, is the hidden risk of day trading? Uh, definitely boredom, I would say. And once again, over trading. It, we're, we're back to that. What you were talking about earlier is this Puritan work ethic where you, you have to work hard. If you work harder, then you'll make more money kind of thing, which is absolutely the opposite in trading. Um, so that's that's definitely the danger is is trying to see something that's not there and uh, not having objective ways of of keeping yourself from you know just rules to, to keep yourself from over trading that's that's the key it, there's you know there's also this old rule that that's uh, they call the 80 20 rule where uh, you know 20 percent or 80 percent of your profits come from 20 percent of your trades that's definitely true. Um, and so if you keep that in mind and, and recognize that, uh, that that's going to be true for your account just like it is for everyone else's account, then you'll maybe start to be more patient and just wait for those uh, for things to line up for you. I agree. You know, actually the question of um, where's the hidden risk of day trading was actually asked by a potential customer that actually called here once. And my next question to him after kind of a conversation we had 15 minutes, uh, I said, you know, then that's when he actually asked me, where's the hidden risk? So I asked him, what do, you, what do you do? And he said, I'm an engineer. And I started laughing. I said, why are you laughing? I said, because I thought you're an engineer because my father is an engineer. So, you know, it's interesting that people think that they can bring sometimes their own strength from their own profession into the business, but actually trading actually draws out the weaknesses of what they did in the past. So, you know, engineers think in terms of systems, and, and I'm not saying that you can't apply a certain discipline to another, but you have to be aware where is your weakness. Uh, and engineers have everything so structured in a market that's so fluid that sometimes flexibility is not something that's always within them because in their world, there is no flexibility. The system has components. It's got to work that way. So when I had to explain to him the hidden risk of, of, of day trading, is actually to explain to him because he was he was approaching more from, not from the mechanical side but more from a discretionary trading i said you know it's not always going to be exactly the setup that you wanted it's not always gonna have the same shape or form as you anticipated and you have to be flexible enough so for me the risk of day trading is always depends on where you come from in your background how you look at it it might day trading might pull out you know your weaknesses um, biases that you bring you bring into the the business. Yeah, I see that too. I, I agree with that. Well, I, I would I would I would just agree that we we all come into every experience in life with some certain type of bias, and the more that you can think objectively, uh, you know, and with a health healthy skepticism as well, is that's when you're able to s try to try to eliminate your rose colored glasses and and really just see things for as they are and see both sides of, of everything. Right. The key is always to be flexible, always learn on top of what you think you know already. Let's talk just for a brief moment about money management and day trading. You, def you know exactly, you defined your risk parameters for your program. How, uh, what advice would you give day traders today when it comes to money management? So, for example, you know, do you Let's say somebody trades only one lot and he's starting out. 
what kind of um, advice would you give him? And why would you give somebody who trades multiple lots, specifically in periods that they're not doing so well? I, I think, you know, once again, to take other ideas from other, other types of uh, disciplines is, is to have short-term achievable goals. And, uh, and with, if you're trading one lot, you know, you're not trying to change your account from from ten thousand dollars to a hundred thousand dollars within six months or something like that. Yeah, you'll see all sorts of you get tons of emails about people that say they've done that, but it's just not realistic. I mean, this we're you're trying to hit hit consistent singles and not necessarily home runs. It, that would be it's great to have those home runs, but once again, you know, most of your trades are going to be plus or minus a little bit with an, the occasional home run. So having short-term achievable goals for that are that are objective um, to, to take you from one lot to two lots, it should be profit-based. It should be based on your, your own performance. You can get, as, as you get bigger, you might look at it from a different angle and say, okay, um, when the market is uh, is this volatile, then, then I know that it's a good trading environment, so I'll increase my size and maybe decrease my size when when the market is less appropriate for trading but I think that comes further down the road for for beginning day traders who are in a losing phase deleveraging is is key when you're not doing well it's probably the hardest thing to do is is to cut off you're basically you're basically cutting off some of your your firepower um, and you want to make that back the money that you've lost but that is likely to turn into some kind of revenge trading, so it's difficult to do. Go out, go out and do some weed whacking for a while and, and think about it, and then. Um, but but don't be afraid to go back to one lot. I've I've done this where I will build. I'll take an account and I'll say, okay, my goal is to take this account to fifty thousand dollars, grow it from ten thousand dollars to fifty thousand dollars, something like that. And then when I do that, I'm going to take out forty and take it right back down to ten. And then just do that again. I've done that, and it's a great way to. It's a great thing to do because it kind of cuts you off from. Say you took it from fifty to a hundred thousand, and then and then you went back down to fifty uh, because you're trading bigger size. That's not so great. So, uh, so maybe just having a, you know a short, just just having goals like that is a, is a good way to go. Absolutely. And by the way, I'm going to fire my landscaper today. I'm gonna do so. You know, I'm gonna work on the bushes. You know, just to stay a little bit more disciplined. You know, it's gonna save me some money. I think it charges me too much. Okay, so the last question that I have for you is: Can you share the technology and execution you trade with today? Why did you choose it? You know, just wanted to share with our retail traders because I'll tell you what's going on in the retail world is that. People always look at what others trade, right? So you talked about the sense of community and to find people within a certain community, but that's exactly what they do. But I sometimes find that, you know, finding a, a too big of a community, sometimes they choose what other people do and it's not always good for execution. So how did you go about choosing how you want to execute and what technology do you use today for that? Sure, my, my number one criteria has always been stability. Um, I, I started out, like I said, using TradeStation, which I thought was okay, but not very stable. It would crash all the time. ORplat.exe was always something I was shutting down and having to restart. And so I, I and the other thing that I didn't like about TradeStation was that it was not broker neutral. I, I wanted to be able to use different brokers. So I migrated over to MultiCharts, and I've been using MultiCharts for years now. It's a blessing and a curse. I think it's I think it's a decent to good platform in that uh, I like using easy language. It is easy. I'm not a programmer, and I like to be able to lay down ideas really quickly. I execute through using multi charts. I I use CQG <clears throat> as a as a, a way of executing and sending orders to brokers, uh, and CQG is great. It's very stable, and I've never had any issues with it really. I think that if I were not married to easy language, I would probably use um, Sierra Chart. Uh, as far as retail platforms, I think Sierra Chart is is, uh, is 
a great platform if you can code in C++, which is not easy. So st stability is, is really a key thing. I My systems run on a, uh, a server, a dedicated server in Chicago that's close to the exchange. It's not right next door to the exchange. It doesn't have a pipeline going right through the wall into the exchange or anything like that. It's not necessary. But it is important to have a, a your trading um, located, or at least where you hold your stops and that kind of thing, um, either on the exchange or located in a place that has multiple redundancies so that I, I know that if I lose, I mean, I live on Vancouver Island in Canada and we get storms here sometimes and the power goes out. So what am I supposed to do if the power goes out? I don't want to have any kind of unknowns there. I can I can flip a generator on and, and get to the get to a place where I can have a connection, but I don't want my systems to be in limbo and have that disconnection. So the servers that I use are have multiple power and connection redundancies and that's a real great thing for a peace of mind. Technology, I, I would I would say you don't need to have to be subscribing to some service that you pay a lot of money each month with you know there's a lot of stuff for sale out there and, and they make it look really flashy and the numbers look great and they'll call you constantly and try to get you to sign up for it but um, what I think this whole conversation has been about is is that the the holy grail of trading is not it's not indicators it's not um, hitting home runs it's it's all within yourself it's it's being able to develop consistency in your execution, self-discipline, uh, and really analyzing your your trading and and learning from your mistakes and being being humble and knowing when you're making a mistake to to cut it short and and I think that's uh, that's that's the that's a really thing that we all want to try to achieve. Absolutely. So one thing I wanted to tell you is that you know you mentioned multi charts and Sierra charts. One thing that those two platforms are very good, they're very stable. I think Multichart specifically done a phenomenal job when it comes to interface design. You know, sometimes people who are not traders, you know, they use, they develop the front end. Um, it's not so intuitive. When I saw Multicharts, I thought the combination of colors, visual, and also the way they develop their dome for execution, it's very, very good. Um, Sierra chart is amazing for people who trade volume profile. Absolutely one of the better ones out there. And what's unique to both those platforms, you know, they, they don't spend a lot of money in advertising. And this is what I tell people, look for companies and software that dedicate all the resources, you know, to, for, to engineering, to improve it, um, see how they work internally, you know, to develop it more and more and more. I see more and more softwares, you know, working more, and I'm not going to mention who, but, you know, but some of them work like, advertising agencies they put more money into advertising it and I see their ads everywhere in Google as opposed to just putting the resources in what really matters which is their clientele um, CQG is great it's I, I've been using CQG for 20 years you know CQG went from if you recall went from a charting software it went to a trading platform so back in the day that's what we used for when I started at least we used for charting and today I don't know if it helps you at all but you can take the same credentials and also plug them. CQG credential work both on Sierra chart and multi-charts, and then they have their own um, iPhone app that you can check quotes, and I think they're developing for Android, but even if you put it on a browser based on the phone, it will turn it into something which is very mobile friendly. So definitely good choice of technology. Sam, I'm extremely grateful that you have dedicated all this time and your patience. Uh, you've been working with us, and you tolerate me, which is, you deserve a medal, you know, um, in our day-to-day -day communication. So I appreciate the time. This is would really help our customers. They always, I, oh, I at least always wanted to share with them information from people who made it in the industry, been there, not just some, you know, uh, a lot of people share their experience online, but some of it is come, can come from part-time trading or for paper trading. I always seek people like yourself or practical or do it day to day, face the challenges. So I'm extremely grateful that you took this time and shared it with our listeners. Um, I wish you all the best and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be in touch. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it's good to, good to talk to you guys. I hope it's, this helped somebody and, uh, yeah.
glad to do it. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. And to all the listeners, until the next podcast. Thank you again. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Optimist Futures podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, all under the username Optimist Futures. If you have any questions, feel free to send us an email to support at OptimistFutures.com or give us a call directly at 561-367-8686 or toll free at 1-800-771-6748. Once again, thank you for listening to the Optimist Futures podcast. Please remember that this matter should be viewed as a solicitation to trade. Trading futures and options involves substantial risk of loss and is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. You should therefore carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your financial condition. Optimist Futures LLC is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, methodologies, newsletter, or similar service. We urge you to conduct your own due diligence.